right, all right, all right. Day 202. Welcome back to the Windows and Mirrors podcast. My name is Keith. And remember, this is a podcast uh, where we're trying to show you that the Bible is more like a window than it is a mirror. We come to it to see through it and to see God, not to it to primarily look at it and see our Selves. All right, so um, we're in the book of Jeremiah today. We're in Jeremiah twenty nine. Last time we ended up uh, talking about the the um, kind of comparison and contrast of the true prophet and the pro- false prophet and how it plays out in Jeremiah. Remember, my man Jeremiah is in the book of Deuteronomy, right? He is getting it in with the book of Deuteronomy, and so twenty nine here the the context shifts slightly. So here he's writing this letter to the people of God who have already been taken into exile, right? So some of the people of God were taken in 597, in 605 BC and 597 BC. And so uh, Jeremiah writes this letter to them. And he says this, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce, find wives for yourselves and have sons and daughters, find wives for your sons and give your daughters to men in marriage so that they may bear uh, sons and daughters. Multiply there, do not decrease, pursue the well-being of the city i have deported you to pray to the lord on its behalf for when it thrives you will thrive the thing that's interesting here is that um god's plan of redemption ain't stopped because of the exile right he's still saying be fruitful and multiply right and i love this because uh this 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 text this letter that he writes to them and the things the things he instructs uh for them to do uh in this text um can rightfully uh be used as a proof text for how christians are to seek the common good listen in the here and now listen even though we are strangers and exiles in a foreign land this is what first peter says first peter says christians are exiles in this present world right but like the exiles here, we are to pray for the nation that we live in. We are we are to seek the common good of the society we live in, right? And I think the thing that Jeremiah is is mainly kind of getting at is that no, no, Christians should be known for their good contributions to society, right? He tells them to be good citizens, live as if you were at home. This is what Jesus says when he's like, no, 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 be the salt of the earth, right? So in other words, it is it is very much Christian uh, to engage in um, working for a better society for those around you. And so um, that I think that is just so good because it's a needed uh, corrective. We, many of us think that we just need to share the gospel, get people saved, and it's this like retirement plan, as, my, as one of our pastors, uh, Pastor Mo, would say, like, yo, just get them out of retirement, make sure they're good when they die. You dig what I'm saying? But I think the Bible is offering us something so much more robust, so much more earthy and real and practical here uh, in the here and now, as well as later as well. So it says this later, too. It says, um, for this is what the Lord says. When 70 years for Babylon are complete, I will attend to you and I will confirm my promise concerning you to restore you to this place. For I know the plans I have for you. This is the Lord's declaration. Plans for your well-being, not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. Right. So God gives this promise that's usually taken out of context uh, in the book of Jeremiah. And what he says is, no, no, I have a plan for you after the exile, right? Like I have this future for you after the exile. Now, this is spoken not just to one person, but to a people, right? This is spoken to all of the people of Judah that are taken into exile. And he's like, no, no, I have uh, this plan. And listen, if you were taken from your land, you would think that God had abandoned you, right? But, but the text is clear that God's promises of restoration for his people are not thwarted by what his enemies have done right and so the lord is trying to offer this word of comfort to his people now and uh to his people 
back then. I will be found by you, he says. This is the Lord's declaration, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and places where you, where I banished you. This is the Lord's declaration. I will restore you to the place from which I deported you. The thing he's saying is, no, no, no. Seekers find and finders seek, right? Seekers find, finders seek. Those who seek the Lord will find him. And one of the most important and comforting truths of all of scripture is that the Lord will be found by those who seek him. And so Jeremiah is super clear uh, about that in chapter 29 and uh in 30 there's another shift right so 30 uh so 26 to 29 was was mainly this this contrast uh between the the true fa- true prophet false prophet and we even have some of that at the end of 29 but in 30 he comes and the this dramatic turn <laughs> takes place uh so 30 to 33 is what is called the book of consolation right the book of consolation many of your favorite verses from Jeremiah are in this specific section and in this book it expresses this deep hope and blessed promises for israel's future restoration right and for the next few passages you'll 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 hear some familiar text but he says this uh in 30 verse 3 he says for the for look the days are coming right this is the lord's declaration when i will restore the fortunes of my people israel and judah says the lord the phrase uh for the days are coming always speaks of the end time last day messianic right age right that will be fulfilled after the exile right so he brings this context up for the people of god and when that was heard they would have known what they would have known what that meant right so he means like no no i will restore them to the land that they've been taken from right that's what he means but i will restore their fortunes right so he also says this on that day another indicator on that day this is the declaration of the lord of armies i will break his yoke from your neck remember babylon was seen as having this yoke around judah's neck he's like no no i'm gonna break the yoke i'm gonna tear off the chains and strangers will never again enslave you they will serve the lord their god he says and david their king whom i will raise up for them so now we see like no no it's not just this blessing of coming back to the land but it's this blessing of coming back to the land with a a perfect king right so we remember we've talked about all these terrible trash kings that judah has had and he's like no no i'm gonna set a david on the throne chief i'm gonna set one on the throne and guess what i'ma raise him up cats ain't gonna be usurping the throne killing people for the throne remember second kings like he's like no no i'm gonna raise him up he's gonna be from the line of david right and this is why, listen, this is why the New Testament, when it when it talks about the humanity of Jesus, it always brings up David. Because they were trying to remind them, like, no, no, in the Hebrew scriptures, in the OT, right? In the OT, in the OG, as I, as I say, uh, um, uh, God promised this king from the line of David. So I wanted you to remember that, that God was faithful to all of his promises for you. Your injury is incurable. Your wound most severe, he says. You have no defender for your case. There is no remedy for your sores and no healing for you. Check this. All your lovers have forgotten you. They no longer look for you. Listen, salvation, what he's saying is this. Salvation is always a work of God, right? There's no human help that can save Judah from the consequences of their sin. They are far from God literally, right? And that they are not in the land, but they are also uh, far, far from God spiritually, right? And that they need these new hearts. They need healing, someone to cure the wombs right someone who uh who can who can bring them out of their desolate situation and so the lord is just clear about that uh but he also says you know um in uh verse 18 he says i will re- restore the fortunes of jacob's tents show compassion on his dwellings every city will be rebuilt on its mount every citadel will stand on its proper site remember uh the people won't just be restored but the actual earth the area the nation the city will be restored as well right um and the lord 
promises this here and he promises it ultimately in the new heavens and new earth. And at the end of 30, he's like, yo, you will be my people and I will be your God. He's promising uh, this uh, promise of the covenant, right? Like this is the central line, the central thesis statement of the covenant, the covenant in a tweet. Uh, you will be my people. I will be your God. And he will enable what he desires from his people. 31 comes. I love 31 so much here. Uh, and I can't even get to all of it. But man, he continues the same song, right? Mind you, this is written down before the exile, right? So that later generations, right? Even those who were born in the exile would come up believing and having the promises of God uh, laid out before them. And so uh, one of the things that he gets at in these texts is he's going to say this is for all of the families of Israel, right? Remember, uh, uh, Israel had been separated from Judah, south and north, and God is saying, no, no, this is for all y'all. So in other words, I'm going to actually regather my entire people. There's going to be a reunification of the people of God. And this is all rooted, he's going to say, in the everlasting love of God, the, the covenantal love, the faithful love and kindness, Exodus 34, 6, right? That he extends to his people, right? And he's like, no, no, I've scattered you guys, but I'm going to gather you guys. I'm going to reverse it, right? And this time, it will be a time of song, of joy, of praise, of celebration because of the, the, the deliverance of the Lord. He speaks of it as a well-watered garden, right? This is going to be like a new Eden. And then he goes and, he's, and he has this interesting section in 31 to 34 where he speaks of something called the new covenant. Now, listen, this is the only place in the Old Testament where the word new covenant is stated. Right. It's something we're so familiar with from the New Testament. Literally, New Testament means new covenant. Um, and, and what Jesus says and what Paul says, Second Corinthians three. Right. New covenant is something we're under now because of the finished work of Jesus. But it's prophesied here by my man, Jeremiah. Right. And in verses thirty one to thirty four, he's going to say all of these things that the new covenant entails. Right. He's going to say, yo, Israel and Judah will be reunified. We talked about that. He says this covenant will be superior to the previous, right? Remember, there's always this escalation of the promises of God, right? That the 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 return from exile will be greater than the exodus, right? The the blessing to Abraham and the fathers will or will not compare to the blessing for Israel after the exile, right? Like all these things, God continues to escalate his promises. They get greater later, right? And at the forefront, he's gonna say, No, no, the law that y'all broke is going to be written on your hearts. Not, it's not going to be written on stones. It's going to be written on human hearts, right? We're going to have hearts that are transformed and made new and full and final forgiveness. And, and God is going to change the heart of his people so he can uh, enable the very things he expects, right? He says there will be a greater revelation of greater knowledge from the least to the greatest of the Lord, right? And these, listen, these are all blessings that we can praise and thank God for today because this is what they were looking forward to. And these are things that we actually have now already, even if we don't have them fully. And the Lord is just clear about what he's going to do. And this was to inspire praise, hope, and joy among God's people. Lastly, in 32, 32 comes and Jeremiah is going to say, hey, fam, another sign act, right? So remember, uh, the prophets have these sign acts where they uh, have these specific acts that they do, right? And that they point to the actual message they're proclaiming, right? So here he purchases, he purchases, uh, his family member comes and tells him to purchase this piece of land, 
right? So he purchases this piece of land and it symbolizes Yahweh doing the exact same thing for his people, right? Yahweh purchasing and buying back the land for his people. He would redeem the land. In the Old Testament, listen, in the event that you were poor and couldn't afford to keep the land that you had, a near relative would come alongside you and purchase it for you to keep the land tied to the family, right? And what is happening here is Jeremiah is doing this before the exile symbolically, right? To symbolize what God would do after the exile, right? He he, he, he is not uh, abiding by uh, modern day real estate uh, tendencies, right? He's he's doing this as something spiritual, something uh, redemptive that the Lord is going to do. And it's interesting because in the gospel, man, what the father does is he sends the son, right? Who is our brother, according to Hebrews 2. Uh, to do this for us, right? Who who purchases the entire world? He doesn't just purchase people; he purchases the universe, right? So that God can give it to Christ and to us. He keeps it all in the family. There's so much going on here, man. Back in those days, kings as well would um, have something called a, a royal land grant, right? Where they would, uh, in in light of the covenant, the in light of the relationship they had with other nations and other peoples, right? They would uh, purchase a piece of land and give it to their servants as a sign of their faithfulness towards them. And and even and even here, right? Like the king of the universe, uh, Yahweh himself is doing that for his people to symbolize what he's gonna do for his people. And it's good here because man, um, the text just goes on with so many precious promises uh, of the Lord. But I think one of the things we can just take away from all of this is that when it comes to our relationship with God, our sin never gets the last word, right? Our sin never gets the last word, but his goodness and his grace always does. These things God is going to do for us is because he loves us, right? And I pray that we will be convinced of all of these truths uh, and these truths would lead us to rejoice today. Let's pray. Father, we ask for your mercy and your kindness, God. I pray that you would, by your power, reveal to us uh, what you would have of us today. Uh, as we worship you, as we live our lives before you, this text would not just be something we hear with our ears, but would be submitted into our